0: Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. Good morning, Denver Bible Church. And this week, may you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Not everyone will, but I pray that you will, because of what the Lord has done for us, and in spite of the wickedness in the world around us. It does astound me how a human being can be in the most terrible of circumstances in war, in a hospital's ICU, even in a concentration camp. Whether your name is Alvin or Lisa or Corey, in the midst of suffering, even of horror, If we know the Lord, we could find a lot to be thankful for. And how about you? How about me? How about our loved ones here at this fellowship and our friends beyond our four walls? What are you thankful for? Well, in November 2016, here are some of the blessings that we believers can be thankful for. God loves us. For all of the hatred heaped upon Christians by the culture, God loves us. So, would you rather be loved by the world and hated by God, or hated by the world and loved by God? As the Bible says, although God loves them enough to sacrifice his only son for them in hopes that they will turn to him, still, As the Bible says, God hates all the workers of iniquity and bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Yet I am thankful beyond measure. Thank you, Lord, that although I was one of these. You see, when you come to the Lord, then you are considered one of the righteous. Is it true that even Christians sin? Of course it is. There are some denominations, like the Nazarenes have a sect within the Nazarene uh, community where they believe in a second work of grace and they claim that when you receive the second work of grace, you no longer sin again. In Commerce City, Pastor Bob Hill was having weekly Bible studies with a Nazarene pastor who believed this and he believed that he Never has never sinned in the last 20 years. And he pastored a church. And Bob Hill recognized his theology as legalism and was trying to help him uh, to no avail. He failed. The pastor ended up stepping down from his ministry because he was caught in an extramarital affair. Not even with a woman. Uh, and the Nazarenes, who I know, I've known for 30 years as we talk about this, they say, well, that was not a sin, it was a mistake. And I know you could make some big mistakes in your life, but um, it doesn't help to pretend that sin was not a deliberate act. That doesn't help. But even though we were all these workers of iniquity, these bloodthirsty and deceitful men and women, when we come to the Lord, we are then identified with Christ and we are forgiven. So God looks at us not as a sinner who's headed to hell, but as the righteous who already is more than a conqueror. And so when the Bible warns the wicked of God's... Anger toward them. It does so at the same time offering them eternal life if only they will trust in the Lord. Be sorry for their sin, how they've hurt others and hurt themselves and trust in Jesus Christ. So I am thankful beyond measure. Lord, thank You so much that He loves us, that He loves me and You and all those who trust in Him And He loves us with an everlasting love. I'm thankful that God has demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thankful for what He has done. I'm thankful that God made us in His image and in His likeness. For it is because we are made in that way that we are made in God's likeness That we are then able to demonstrate our love to our own children and grandchildren, our family members and friends. If there were no God of love, we would not be able to love others. And even as opportunity presents itself, we are able to love strangers and occasionally even our enemies. Have you ever? demonstrated your love for an enemy. If you have, you know the joy and the reward of honoring Jesus Christ, who while we were still enemies, he died for us. For many people, you are the only Bible that they will ever read. And of course, we've all heard that, that people who will never open the Scriptures will look at Christians. And they will look for an excuse to reject Jesus Christ. But while it's a grave responsibility, I'm also thankful for the honor of getting to serve the Lord. Isn't that something? That He looks to us so that we could bring the gospel to others? What a privilege. Yes, a responsibility. But what a joy. And so this Thanksgiving Day, let us be thankful that Christ is working in us to conform us to the image of His Son. You know, we quote that Bible verse from Romans, but it might become just a phrase, but the concept that God is working in us, we are now new creations when we trust in Him, and He's bringing us to the image of His Son where we will no longer hurt one another. We will no longer be sinful, selfish individuals. But that is our old man, our Adam, so to speak, which passes away as we become conformed to the image of Christ. So that when we go to be with the Lord, then we will experience the final victory because our flesh, that which is part of us, which brings us towards sin and destruction, That has not been redeemed. Our flesh has not been redeemed. I have been redeemed. You believe in the Lord. You have been redeemed. But your flesh, my flesh, it is not redeemed, but when we go to be with the Lord, it falls off. And I am so thankful that that is the case so that we'll be able to enjoy Him and enjoy one another forever without hurting each other. when I think about how wicked the world is becoming, not that it has ever been righteous, mind you, other than those first six days after God made Adam and Eve, but from then until now, when I think about how wicked the world is becoming and how the rebellion is everywhere and the hatred of Christianity profound, I realize that even in the midst of all that suffering, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, the New York Times this weekend, they lamented that those coming into power in Washington, D.C. have a, quote, hostile view toward Islam, unquote. Hmm. A hostile view toward Islam. Isn't that something? The New York Times has a hostile view toward Christianity. Why would they at all mind anyone who has a hostile view toward Islam? I mean, the Muslims who have authority in a number of nations in the world would behead the editors of the New York Times if they had the opportunity. Not all Muslims, but many. In Turkey, where... I was trying to get to Turkey in September, August and September on an expedition going to Mount Ararat, but that has all now been postponed indefinitely because of the Islamist coup in Turkey and the crisis there in that country. And they have just introduced a law, and it's hard in polite company to describe the law they've introduced, but this is not some minor political influence in Ankara. This is President Erdogan and his leading party being Islamists. They've introduced a law that would remove the criminal charges against a man who has violated a young girl if he ends up marrying her. And thank the lord there are women in turkey who are enraged and who are marching in the streets by the thousands but this is not some small sect that is somehow derailing islam these are leaders of tens of millions who are bringing that perversion to the world but so here's the new york times and i'm thinking of the things i'm thankful for right they've seen their prophets Evaporate and their circulation plummet. In fact, and I'm very thankful about that, it couldn't happen to a nicer group of folks. Back when their circulation was dropping daily to almost a million, I went ahead and registered a domain name, which was their nickname, thegraylady.com. Just so online, when they dipped below a million, we could celebrate and document the case against the New York Times and their hatred for God. But, um, you know, over time, newspapers are becoming so insignificant that they went under a million. We thought it's not even worth our effort, so we blew off that plan, and now their daily circulation has just dropped below 600,000. So hopefully they're on their way out, and I'm thankful for that. But the hostility that's in the world toward Christians, it has an effect of purging the body of Christ. And that's what persecution does. Persecution leaves those who love the Lord and are not afraid to be mocked and ridiculed or worse. That's what persecution does. There are all kinds of things to be thankful for, even in a nation that long ago has openly turned against God. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. So easily, anyone can misunderstand this. But I'm thankful that Donald Trump likes women. I don't know if you get that point. But I'm thankful for that. Not long ago... Focus on the family was quoted on the front page of the Denver Post saying that they would not object to a homosexual being confirmed as a U.S. Supreme Court justice. That was focused on the family. And with the incoming administration, there is a far greater likelihood than with the outgoing one that we could end up with a Supreme Court like that. That is utterly utterly at war with anything resembling Christian morality. If you love your neighbor, you will warn them when they're headed toward destruction. And Jesus said God made them male and female. And today, it's hate speech if you quote the Lord, saying God made them male and female. Out with the bad, in with the worse. Regardless of all that, Still, I am thankful that as Christians, we have the freedom to gather to worship, to share the gospel with others, to fight to save those whom even the new administration will destroy. We have tremendous freedom here in America, but that freedom is eroding. So I am thankful that the Lord has worked in our hearts, and I mean those of you right here, that God has worked in our hearts, including those that are part of our extended church family, I am thankful that the Lord has burned it into our hearts to have a passion to share Him with others, to know that today is the day of salvation, that now is the accepted time, and that today is the day of salvation. I am so thankful that our church is not just sitting on the sidelines as history is passing us by. But we are fighting to honor the Lord and to protect the innocent. You know, the best holidays are times of reflection of the past, of history, birthdays and anniversaries. And generally, the fewer people they celebrate, the better the holiday, generally speaking. And often, the more distant the past events, the more meaningful the holiday. Remember that holiday that was invented a while back by a Berkeley professor? Do you remember that? It's called Kwanzaa. He invented an old African holiday, and now here we are a few decades later, and even for the people who it was made up for, I don't think it's very meaningful for very many people. A fake holiday or a holiday that celebrates everybody doesn't have meaning to it and will lack the warm and cherished place in our hearts. Most of us have sentimental feelings for times like Thanksgiving and Christmas. But not so many, not as many percentage-wise, get choked up about, say, Labor Day. You know people get choked up about Labor Day? You know, and that's because most people that we know work. So it's like we're celebrating everybody. And if you celebrate everybody, then you're really celebrating nobody. It's like the difference between atheist and pantheist. Do you know what a pantheist is? I'm looking at some of the younger people here in the congregation. you know what a pantheist is? An atheist, A, like a negation. Someone who doesn't believe in God. They're not a theist. A pantheist, the Greek word pan, means all. So a pantheist is someone who believes that everything is God. Everything. The entire universe and everything in it is God. When they take out the trash, pantheists, by their own theology, are tossing out their God with their garbage. But Memorial Day, now that holiday celebrates a much more reduced number of people, not all workers, but the heroes who served our families, who fought and died for our freedom. Now that's a holiday. Typically, the fewer people you are celebrating, the more powerful the celebration. I mean, even Mother's Day is powerful, Because we don't think of mothers as a demographic group, right? There's such a thing as the Department of Labor. Wouldn't it be terrible if there was the Department of Mothers? It'd be just horrific. On Mother's Day, we think of our mother and our grandmother, our sisters and daughters who are moms. But the greatest holidays are those that celebrate fewer and fewer people and further and further into the past. Now, public schools in general, uh, led by the beautiful people who promote diversity, free speech, and tolerance, they no longer refer to Christmas or Easter, but to spring break in the winter solstice, the winter holiday. They have no qualms about changing the celebration of Christ's birth into some pagan astronomical observation. But Thanksgiving, now that's a holiday that Christians cherish. But what do atheists do with it? Who does the atheist thank for the sunrise? Or the rain that grows the crops? Who does the atheist thank for the flower for the flowers in the meadow? Or the sound of the mountain stream? Thanksgiving to whom? To no one unless you know the one who made you. Thanksgiving and history go together. And it's a holiday where we're celebrating God. And it goes way back, referring to the beginning of the creation. So Thanksgiving is so very memorable. And because it's a holiday, as holidays should be, It celebrates the past, what has gone before, like Christmas, remembering Christ's birth, and Easter, which we call Resurrection Sunday, remembering His being raised from the dead. And these, of course, resonate with hundreds of millions of people. In fact, Christmas, dare we say, with billions of people, because even today, Christianity is still the world's most populous religion by far but thanksgiving is so powerful because it celebrates the one true god and putting in the spotlight our gratitude to him for what he has done for us the way thanksgiving came about in a sense ties into the teachings of denver bible church in a very unique way that is not true of many of the churches right around us. Do you know what the connection is between our theology and the origins of Thanksgiving? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Because with Thanksgiving, when we look at the history of it, we remember the pilgrims. And we call them pilgrims. I mean, language evolves, especially over hundreds of years. And easily, by now, we could have called them something other than the pilgrims. I mean, easily. But there was a Christian preacher who was thrown in jail in the 1600s. And while in jail, being persecuted for his faith by the Christian government, he wrote a book. If you know the name of that book, raise your hand. I I won't ask for it. But, okay, about a third of the church... Mostly the right knows and the left doesn't. Not unusual. The name of the book is The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan spent 12 years in jail because he was preaching the Gospel without a license. How's that? In England. He was imprisoned, and while there, for those first 12 years... He wrote the first half of Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, you might want to read it to your kids. It's, it's an absolutely fun and edifying book. Uh, it's about two men uh, who were headed to the celestial city. That's the story of the book. And it's an allegory for the Christian life. And it begins with Christian who's not a believer. And he sets out on this journey and he has a burden that is so terrible he could hardly move on his journey. But then, I don't want to give away the whole story, but his burden is relieved and he's able to go. Able to go for it. By the way, when he was uh, let out of jail, uh, he was welcomed as the pastor Of the Bedford Community Church, so we went from being an inmate uh, to being a pastor in the pulpit, which was so very appropriate. He was imprisoned by the persecutors authorized by Charles II. It was 1678 when he published the first half of Pilgrim's Progress and it remains second to the Holy Bible in sales for centuries. Imagine writing the bestseller. Today, maybe you'd be Bill O'Reilly or Ann Coulter, right? You think in 240 years from now, do you think Ann Coulter's book, Guilty, will be a bestseller? Or the number one bestseller? Probably not. But the Christians who had been living in England suffered such a persecution that some of them moved to Holland. And there, they found greater freedom to teach their children the gospel and to worship. But over time, what they realized what was happening is that their children were being influenced by the culture in the Netherlands. Now, our own uh, beloved Maxim is from Holland. But the Christians who had fled from persecution in England went to Holland, but then after a while, they realized, in a way, it's worse here. we got to hit the seas. we got to head for the new world. And so that was the Mayflower and the pilgrims from which we get the story of the beginning of Thanksgiving. But here, what we're talking about is the, the backstory. What happened before the pilgrims went to New England. And what I'd like to do, one of the reasons we call them pilgrims to this day is because of John Bunyan and his Pilgrim's Progress. I'd like to quote just a couple excerpts from his book. And you'll see what I mean when I say that the ministry of Denver Bible Church, the teachings of this church are specially connected to the origins of Thanksgiving. Because Bunyan taught things, some that nobody teaches, unless they have what's called Pauline theology. Bunyan had Pauline theology. Now this first bit, well, let me share it with you. And uh, the first bit sort of brings us slowly into the realization that he was all about Paul's theology for the body of Christ. But initially, and we really got to jump toward the end of the story, after the whole book, their journey to the celestial city, there it is in view. And they're so close. But between them and the city is this raging river, a torrent where anyone who goes into it will not survive. And so let me quote to you, From Bunyan, the pilgrims then began to inquire if there was no other way to the gate, to which they were answered, Yes, but there hath not any except for two Enoch and Elijah. Only two have been permitted to tread that path since the foundation of the world, nor shall anyone be able to go to the city until the last trumpet sounds, then others can go the way of Elijah and Enoch. Do you get that? The doctrine in there? The theology? Because we teach the rapture of the body of Christ. That there will come a time when the last generation of believers will not die, but we will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. And so you learn about Enoch back in the genealogy in Genesis before the global flood, and you learn about Elijah. And these were two men who had such a relationship with God that instead of them dying, the Lord took them to be with him. So here's John Bunyan. Now he's not giving a date to it. and He's not saying when in God's plan this rapture would occur. In other words, would it be before the tribulation, as we teach here, or would it be at some other time? He doesn't say that, but he clearly states that the last generation will go to heaven without dying. For then he quotes from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, and he quotes this in his book. He writes, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality.